I encourage all marketing teams to be diverse because if we are as diverse as our customer base, that will make us so much better at being empathetic and understanding how we reach out to them and how we make them successful. This is the podcast where we go around the globe to interview marketing leaders from the world's biggest brands, fastest growing companies, and most disruptive startups. Great ideas packaged a certain way want to spread. They want to be told to someone else. This is simple, surprising, and significant. Unlocking viral creativity is to make it rapidly scalable. This is Top CMO with me, Ben Kaplan. Today I'm chatting with Isabel Geese, CMO of Commvault, a cloud data protection powerhouse. Before joining Commvault, Isabel's impressive career included a stint as VP of product marketing at Salesforce, where she contributed to $1 billion plus growth in sales cloud revenue. She also served as the chief strategy and marketing officer at Ignite, where she expanded the company's total addressable market by 10X. Isabel currently serves as an adjunct lecturer and member of the board of advisors at Santa Clara University's Levy School of Business. So how does being empathetic help you ultimately deliver value to customers, whether in a marketing activation or at an industry event? Let's find out with Isabel Geese. Isabel, what are the past experiences that you draw on most now at Commvault in an industry where it's certainly booming because of all the digital transformation that was accelerated through the pandemic? Well, thanks for having me, Ben, uh, first of all. But, but you're right, I've been very blessed in working for best-in-class companies, uh, which I've learned tons from. And uh, in a way, you know, being CMO at Commvault, bring it all together. Uh, we have a vibrant ecosystem of partners, and um, I would say the partner go-to-market motion at Cisco is really where uh, I was exposed to um, to the depths and the richness of it. Uh, we have a SaaS solution, and obviously working at Salesforce and building this strong link with uh, the customer, the communities you've built, and the SaaS you know, velocity uh, of doing marketing and sales uh, was critical. Um, so it, it's been it's been great. It's been a journey to learn at every step of the way to bring it together uh, at Combo. You've spoken about the importance of events, connecting with your customer, and the changing nature of that. Of course, during the pandemic, we all sort of went virtual and then we tried to do kind of hybrid. And now things are continuing to evolve. I know event marketing is an important part of your strategy. How has your thinking about events evolved over the past couple of years? So, so for everything marketing, obviously, you, you have to listen to customer. And I think event has been the one most dramatically affected by the pandemic. Uh, but also what the pandemic did is transfer a lot of our interaction online. So digital marketing has been more than ever uh, critical in a way of understanding your market and monitoring it. And, and I am terribly biased because I teach at Santa Clara University, the foundation of a marketing tech stack, but using a lot of those technology to see where the market is going and engaging with customers to see first end what they expect and how they want us to engage with them, which event is a part of. What we found out is a lot of customers were still not, depending on where they, they were geographically or just, you know, uh, personally, uh, comfortable going to a full, you know, immersion in in-person event. 
Um, the travel industry is being challenged. So traveling is not as glamorous as it used to be. The desire to be away from home when with COVID, you know, they already had their routine, the children pick up and so forth. So staying one week in Las Vegas was not an option for them, but they still wanted to engage some of them in person. But at the same time, they wanted something convenient. So that's one thing we learned. The second things we learned was really um, they like online and the flexibility it offers for events, but they don't have the attention span that we used to have early 2020. Uh, they want to experience this on their own terms, you know, different topics. Uh, they like short, you know, uh, impactful, I would say, sessions. So we redesigned, to your point, Ben, our entire event strategy around this. Meaning that you want less long, big, monolithic events where everyone in the globe comes to and put more events closer to where people are and also make it more bite-sized chunks that we all have short attention spans now. So we've got to sort of reduce what these are. Exactly. So so what we did was we redesigned our event platform where you can engage, ask questions live, network work and it was multiple track with to your point 15 minutes 20 minutes very short session uh, and that you can you know explore a little bit more and then can book a meeting for a follow-up if you want to deep dive into one of them and then after this big online event we had road shows where we will meet customers where they are where instead of asking them to spend an entire week in a conference center they will just come for you know, four hours, maybe there will be two hours of presentation and exchange and two hours of visiting a museum or, you know, a fun activities where they could network with their peers. And this format so far for us have been extremely efficient uh, and it's answering to the, the desire of engagement of our customer, which varies, as I say, through cities and through the times they can allow you to, to spend with us. For other CMOs who are listening and thinking about their event marketing strategy. There's different objectives from events, from what you're trying to do. What is your objective? Why is events something that you single out as important in your marketing mix? And what are you hoping to accomplish? Uh, so we are designing our event with multiple personas in mind. We have people who are going to come to especially a virtual event and that the first time they're going to be exposed to Convolt. So we have our keynotes, we have partners, critical major partners, uh, that work with, with us, um, that will actually give an overview of all the realm of possibilities and solution we bring. Then we have our customer who are considering, uh, buying a new product or purchasing us for the first time. And we have roadmap session, um, that shows the deployment, the rollout, the benefits and the value. And then we have our, I would say our hardcore, very loyal customer, we're super advanced, and we will do sessions that are more hands-on where we say meet the expert. So, and that was back to, you know, people want to decide that this is what I want out of the event. And you try to offer them the choice, they sign up for the session they want. Uh, and you also have a follow-up, like if they want more deep dive session because the event is only four hours, they can book a meeting with a product manager, with someone from support after the event as well. It's interesting to think about personas applied to events because I think personas, we commonly do that in marketing. We want to understand our customers. We want to understand our customer segments, but then we then host an event 
And so we spend a lot of time separating people out into different personas, but then we put them all back together because they're all coming to the event. And sometimes we forget that there's different people there for different reasons, much like you would map out the journey when someone comes to your website. Where are they going to go? What are they experience? What are they trying to get to? You should do that for an event as well. How are people with their own different objectives going to experience and what's going to be their flow? Exactly. And that's, that's why the platform you choose is very important because you can offer different journey to through the event, depending at which stage and the center of interest your customer have. And in a way, that's the beauty of doing this digitally. It's a flexibility and the self-service. So everybody can customize their own journey. What platform are you using? Right now we're using uh, Six Connects. And it's for that reason of being able to kind of be flexible, to adjust it to different purposes, different personas, that's why? Yes, absolutely. You can arrive, you have an exhibition hall, you can go to different booths, you have people to interact with, you have a chat version, you can decide to listen to the keynote, you can sign up for different sessions. So we can really design a customer journey. You can have live engagement between customer with each other as peer networking, but also between experts and customers and, uh, and you can schedule. Uh, we have different integration with Six Connect where you can also schedule follow-up meetings if you want to. Before you were at Commvault, I mean, as you mentioned, you were at Salesforce, which is a company that's known for events, known for a very strong community, known for one really big event in particular, Dreamforce. So what do you take from sort of the Salesforce experience to now of a company that really did prioritize sort of events as a marketing tool? So I would not say we prioritize events, but I would say we've been very successful at a time that's been challenging uh, in attracting customers to events. And I will say a lot of this is drawn and inspired by my time at Salesforce. Salesforce customer obsession and making sure we answer their needs. And, you know, they have a large customer base. So back to the personas, they have very different type of interests. They have sales leader, marketing leader, sales ops, uh, support people who use their product. But they all come at Dreamforce. They all have different tracks. And what is core to Salesforce is to engage with them on an ongoing basis, with Dreamforce being the major event. But you know, we used to do coffee talks just to catch up with them and talk about what's top of mind and exchange best practices between different sales leader because I was on sales cloud. Um, we used to organize, you know, review of some of the content of our session to have customer feedback and see if that was resonating with them. If there was another topic and we will actually service them to see what topics they wanted to listen to. You know, Salesforce as an entire, um, I would say, logic and processes center around customer. From the certification to train them on the product with a trailblazer community and all the online, um, you know, demos and uh, training that you can take up to Dreamforce and an ongoing engagement to make sure um, we listen, we include back in the roadmap, but also we engage on their own terms. Isabel's time at Salesforce is an interesting marketing training ground. By account of its industry focus, Salesforce shouldn't be an innovative marketer, yet it is. Salesforce donates 1% of their time, product, and financial resources to organizations doing good in the world. From the company's unique and positive image via its commitment to corporate social responsibility, to its iconic Dreamforce conference and innovative no software campaign, 
Salesforce took an out-of-the-box approach to B2B marketing. Hi, it's Mark Benioff. Uh, companies can do more than just make money. They can serve others. And our job is to get out there and really show how corporations can change the world and make them a better place. So what did Isabel take away from founder and CEO Mark Benioff? And what makes him such a successful leader? Yeah, so well, actually, you know, very strong on the values. Uh, he, he really lives them through and through. It's not just, you know, world that are on the website. And one of those values is customer success. And for him, he really means it. It doesn't mean that, you know, we're successful in just rolling out the Salesforce product. It means that if your business as our customer grows, if you're doing well, we will do well. And so the focus is not just on helping the customer use our product, it's helping them grow, helping them thrive, helping them, you know, survive during COVID. And by doing this, it creates a lot of trust, a lot of loyalty, and a lot of knowledge of the market that I met this uh, company so successful. Mark Benioff is keenly interested in customer and making them successful beyond Salesforce. What is the priority now for Commvault? We focused a lot on events because I think it's an interesting topic, but it's not necessarily the core of what you do. Where is your priority now? What do you need to accomplish in the next 12 months for Commvault from a marketing perspective? Yeah, so obviously, you know, the corporate strategy is much broader uh, than event, as you mentioned, Ben. Uh, Commvault is at a very interesting inflection point in the company history. Uh, we are in the data protection business. And there are two things happening with data. It keeps growing and nobody is throwing it away, which means that, you know, we've been in this business for a couple of decades. Nobody is throwing away data in their data center and we can protect that. But a lot of people are adding data with SaaS application, like Salesforce application dynamics. Um, and so you need to protect this data in the cloud. We have a SaaS solution called Metallic that we launched but less than 10 quarters ago, and that actually reached, you know, uh, the stage of 100 million ARR, the stage of, you know, being a unicorn in itself. This has drastically changed how we approach the market and how we market, obviously. Uh, we have two motions. We satisfy customers no matter what workload they have. So that's one thing, adapting to different delivery model of the solution. The second uh, thing that's really important is um, in the recent years, you've seen data is under attack. You have ransomware, so data security has become a cornerstone of our solution as well. We made an acquisition, I think, February last year uh, of a company called uh, Trapex, which now is part of our portfolio under Metanix ThreatWise. And this is a proactive way of um, deceiving people who are trying to attack your data and data security is becoming more and more important in a way where actually the market has to be understood as we just talked about it from a marketing perspective but also in this ever-changing economic environment you do need to forecast you do need to predict and you do need your data available on an ongoing basis so we saw a lot of interest there if you enjoy this show you'll love top ceo Top CEO is a business school case study, telling the story behind the story and what you can learn from it from those who have faced the fire and come out the other side. 
That was the challenge the team was faced. 25% of it was gone. I found myself $282,000 in debt. How will you navigate through these trials and transform them into opportunities for growth and success? How do you build back up the business and get out of debt? Can't get anything in. Nobody can come to work, right, in any of our factory, in any of the factories. This is Top CEO, available wherever you get your podcasts. Have the nature of the conversations changed since the pandemic? The pandemic accelerating a lot of digital transformation of companies, more being put into the cloud. Has that changed how you have to educate people? Has it changed the types of people you're educating? What, what is different now? You're correct. It has accelerated the digital transformation. Before, it was maybe a side project ongoing in the background. Uh, with the pandemic, it became the number one priority. Customers have realized that moving to the cloud is not doing what you do on-prem, but in the cloud. It's a complete different logic. The way you approach a skill set you need, um, you don't want just one cloud provider, you want multi-cloud, you want hybrid cloud, you want some of the data accessible very fast, depending on how critical it is, and some that you can afford to have in the cloud. So the level of sophistication and the entire thought process is very different, and I think that's what they learn. At the beginning of the pandemic, I would say then a little bit later, when you saw this ransomware attack, uh, attacks happening, they starting also looking more at data governance and data security, in addition of protecting it and making it available in the cloud. And I will say, you know, I, uh, I don't have a crystal ball, but I can tell you that I think also some of their priority will change this year. Uh, with the current situation in Europe and with um, the stock market, a lot of also customers will probably look at more consolidation of vendors and cost uh, will be one, one of the topic top of minds as well. At Santa Clara University, one of the topics that you teach is on that point is, is like building a marketing stack and your marketing tech stack, which that wasn't even a term, you know, maybe five to 10 years ago or something like that. And now, now it's like a cornerstone of a lot of businesses. So how do you go about thinking as a CMO about like what's in your tech stack? You mentioned some maybe price pressures and costs, you know, belts tightening. How do you think about what's kind of essential to have, what's nice to have, and how you build out an effective marketing tech stack? So, so the tech stack is very important and you should, as a CMO, um, uh, review it on a regular basis because the market is changing. How much? I mean, is this the kind of thing when you say regular basis? I mean, is this your once a year thing before things renew or is it more than that? And, you're, and, and just to clarify, we're talking in the tech stack, it might be your CRM, your web analytics, maybe your marketing automation. These are all elements of, of that tech stack. Absolutely. Yeah. Your event platform, your, all of that is part of the tech stack. And yes, once a year is, I would say, a good, a good cadence. And sometimes, like we just talk about events, sometimes you have to change your event platform in the middle of that because you see the market changing. Um, so looking at your marketing tech stack will tell you a lot of things. You can identify gaps where you see, you know, um, you don't have a lot of choice maybe to engage with customer or you have too many events platform and that's a chance for you to consolidate and maybe reduce your cost. So all of that uh, can be can be laid out. I think, you know, there is um, uh, always a balance and a conflict. Yes, you want to optimize and have an end-to-end -end integration and that will reduce your cost. At the same time, you do need to invest. 
And I say that because a lot of customers, and that's been accelerating since we're all online, are bringing their consumer buying habit into B2B. And that's why I say, you know, they want to engage on their own terms. And when you do this, to be successful in this market, you need what I call a hyper or micro personalization. And so you need to micro segment your market and really engage with them and talk about the topics they want, talk about uh, on the channels they want to hear. And with that, you need a lot more either resources or you need your tech stack to help you. And I, I'm very interested right now as I'm reviewing my tech stack into any AI ML technology because it's so much data, how to segment it, how to micro personalize content. We cannot create like 10,000 content. So there are tools that I can actually automate some of this content as well, like different data sheet updates, different persona, wording change, depending on the industry. And so I am looking into this because I do think that um, in terms of cost, that will help you actually better serve your customer with the same team that you have, but helping them scale through those tools. And talking about, of course, about AI, artificial intelligence, ML, machine learning, that one of the challenges when you're doing complex marketing automation or you're doing a lot of different personas is it can get pretty unwieldy fast. Like there's power in sort of keeping it simple, but there's personalization and keeping it complex. And those kind of tools hold some promise for having this complexity and being able to pull out a simple insight or something else, even on very complex systems. Exactly. Exactly. That's why I, I look at the tech stack. They don't solve problem, but they help people solve problem. And when it's too complex, they will help. They have tools to help us see and have more visibility in a simpler way to mine the data that's very uh, abundant now and extract only the critical information. So people solve problem, not technology, but technology help people scale, be agile, and, um, and have middle knowledge uh, of, around their market and around uh, the solution they bring. As you think about kind of problem solving as a marketing leader, now you're in the CMO role. In many other roles you had, you were a vice president of marketing or you were a marketing leader, but, but not necessarily that title. What is different about being a CMO versus just being a head of marketing or a very senior marketing person that has similar marketing oversight. What's different when you think about being a CMO as an evolution of that? I think the business impact and the ability to help teams align. I think that my only value actually, you know, I'm not really doing the work. I've got fantastic people doing it. Uh, but my value added is to connect the dots between them. And having a multiplier effect. So for instance, you know, when we have a new product coming in and our communication team is ready to launch it, making sure they know about the event we're doing so they can say, hey, if you want to see this product in demo, come to this event, making sure our sales team are being trained before we launch, making sure the website's ready, making sure that there is a webinar to follow up on that and that our field marketing team will reach out as a follow-up. So having all those functions coordinated and instead of individual activities with smaller return, having a bigger coordination and a bigger business impact, that's really what as a CMO, I, I feel um, my role is, is making sure I empower all the team to work together to align towards a bigger 
a goal and um, and to achieve it. And back to the events we were discussing, this roadmap and our big event, we saw in at a time when I talk with my peers and they are struggling to reach the same level of attendees than last year, we saw 40% more registrants to our event online this year and 50% more attendees because we really had a very integrated marketing. And as a CMO, I think that's my role. So is a CMO's role to also serve as a chief collaboration officer? Should a CMO unite teams to harness collective intelligence and foster innovation across disciplines? By breaking down silos and embracing diverse perspectives, CMOs can drive growth in surprising ways. Simply put, how should a CMO coordinate and integrate teams outside of the formal hierarchy? And if you do this, can you achieve better outcomes? I've been at places like that where the marketing organization is seen as a service organization instead of a strategic organization. So let's say, for instance, when product has a new product to launch, they will go to the communications team and say, hey, we're launching yellow. Okay. But then meanwhile, the digital marketing team is putting ads on purple. And then the field marketing team has a request from the field to do a webinar on pink. It's a lot of activities, but it's smaller return on investment. And when you look at this from a customer perspective, you see all these rainbow colors uh, and, and it's is a result of being a service organization. When you become a strategic organization and you can change the culture at the company level of your marketing team, it's we all align around purple for a quarter and yellow is the next one. And so as a result, you have a multiplier effect and you have also better coordination and returns because people work with each other to offer a better experience to customer. My wife is French from the south of France. You are French from Marseille in the south of France, and you're working in a global organization. Does a French perspective, is that different in any way as a marketer or just a business person? It doesn't have to be marketing, but what do you take away from sort of being French, working in a global organization with people from all kinds of backgrounds? Does that give you that might be different than someone from a different background? A completely different perspective. By the way, I'm French, but I am also Indian and Asian, Vietnamese, Indian and Vietnamese because Vietnam used to be French at one point and uh, Pondicherry in India used to be French. So <laughs> I'm half Thai. My wife is French. And so uh, our kids will be a, a big mix as well. So, so you're, you say you have multiple perspectives. I can appreciate that. Sure. Exactly. A Asian perspective. I'm naturalized American. Uh, and I will tell you back to, you know, the market changing and people being more individuals, not just buyer, but individuals and consumers too. I often say, you know, I'm more than a marketer now, especially for the last three years. I think I've been a sociologist. You need to understand where people are coming from, uh, their comfort level with COVID, their opinion on Twitter, are they going to stay on this or do they want to communicate differently? That people's personal opinions is influencing their professional life. And as being part of, I would say, multiple mindset and framework, like being French and being European, but at the same time being American, being a woman, all of this. It gives you like kind of a multi-focused lens that allows you to be more empathetic with the customer ultimately, because you can see things differently. Exactly. And that's why I encourage all marketing teams to be diverse, because if we are as diverse as our customer base, that will make us so much better at understanding, to your point, being empathetic and understanding how we reach out to them and how we make them successful. 
I was recently chatting with the CMO of Nike. And if you talk to a consumer company like that, I mean, he'll talk about, you know, the power of emotion and that's emotion by design and how you have to connect with people on sort of a really different level. And that's, of course, it's a company like Nike. It's famous for ads. It's a consumer brand. Do you think for a B2B company, you're talking about being a sociologist and being empathetic. And those are actually things I could have heard from the Nike CMO too. Is there any truth to that in B2B marketing or is B2B marketing just a different animal? Or do you think it has some core similarities with a more B2C counterpart that seems like totally different? The lines are blurring. We're all consumer and we're all professionals and we bring our consumer lens to work. I would say since the last few years, I, I think the, the way to understand the market, the empathetic aspect is there for both B2B and B2C. B2B is more recent to your point compared to B2C, but the way you use that information is different. You know, in, in B2C, your, the way you engage with customers, the way you, uh, you market your product is emotional to your point. Uh, but you understand their, their emotion because you've been building your understanding of the market. In B2B, the way you engage them is still very, um, at least in my space with IT, still very technical. They don't necessarily buy a brand just because their emotions are in play. The trust, trust is one emotion that's very strong in IT, but I will say the there it's a more logical and rational purchase than an emotional purchase on the B2C. But the way you engage with them, you still have to share the understanding of the market at the emotional level, even if you translate your marketing in a different way. At Commvault, a lot of the offering is protecting you from bad things happening, backing up what you have in case of something catastrophic, protecting against risks from outside threats, compliance issues, problems. So how much of it is just kind of putting a more positive spin on marketing of things people are afraid of and it's actually fear or is it something different? How do you think about sort of communicating value when a lot of it is protection from what could happen that would be very negative? So actually that's that's a good point. I don't like using the word fear as you uh, as you heard. I'm not use that, but what I like using is trust. Uh, and it's like, you know, when you buy an insurance, you know, you don't want to get a car accident but you never know. And so you don't want to lose your data, but unfortunately there have been a lot of bad actors and we don't want to instill fear in our customer. It's just the news, unfortunately, and the way the world is going and how critical the data is. And it's a new wealth that people want to steal. So what we're really good and, and very proud of is we actually don't protect all the workload the same way. Some are critical and requires more attention. Some, you know, you can live with that for a couple of days until you recover them. And that's really what we offer. And I think for us, the word that's important is not fear, it's trust. Trust us with our expertise to help you when things are not well. The amount of customer we help recover from ransomware and they didn't have to pay uh, a ransom and they were able to keep their business running is impressive. They've been extremely grateful, but it is our job. We take a lot of pride in it. Uh, and we rather be there when things are bad than making instilling the fear in them. And, you know, uh, that's, that's not how we think about marketing. We think about marketing with trust. And if you decide to protect your data and things go bad, we'll be there for you. I'd be interested to hear your take because not only are you, you know, practicing as a marketer 
as a CMO, but you're also teaching a next generation of business leaders or marketers in your role at Santa Clara University. So what is your advice for those who want to be in the CMO role down the road? Maybe that's three years, maybe that's five years, maybe that's longer. What is your advice for getting there? What sorts of experiences, what, what should they think about their careers? What sorts of skills, what sorts of networks should they have? What is your advice to the next generation? I will say, you know, the, the market is changing so much. The technology are coming. Whatever advice I give that will be that actionable will be outdated in two years from now. What I try to teach my students is to be comfortable being uncomfortable because the market will change. The tools we're using will change. New social media tools will arrive. New way of segmenting the market will arrive. But as long as it keeps the customer interest at their heart and they are comfortable being uncomfortable and asking and learning and experimenting, sky is the limit because they will always stay on top of their game. They will always learn new technology that will come their way. But more importantly, they will be successful because if you care about customers, customer will care about you. According to Isabel Geese, strategic alignment, empathy, and adaptability are crucial elements in the evolving world of marketing. So really understand your customer, embrace their diversity and your own, seek to foster trust. Don't just use customer personas as part of a brand exercise, leverage them at the tactical level, even at your next user conference. Break down silos, embrace change, if you can continually adapt to the changing landscape, you'll thrive in an increasingly interconnected world. For Top CMO, I'm Ben Kaplan. This amazing episode was brought to you by Top Thought Leader. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.